The B2B Marketing Exchange was created with one goal in mind, to help B2B practitioners across marketing and sales be better at their jobs. Now we're bringing the insights from the stage to your ears. These are the tips and tools you need to succeed. This is the B2B Marketing Exchange Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the season premiere of the B2B Marketing Exchange Podcast. I'm Claudia Tarico, editor of Demand Gen Report, and I've got my colleague Alicia Esposito on the other line. Hey, Alicia. Hey, Claude. Can you even believe it? Fourth season. I feel like it was just yesterday we launched this thing. I know. It's it's really mind-blowing. And I mean, hey, time flies when you're having fun in this really random, weird world we're living in right now. I mean, that's all I could say. And we're still riding high off our virtual B2B marketing exchange. And honestly, we are thrilled. We were able to give our attendees some great insights and opportunities to network with each other. I think it was just an awesome event and the engagement we got and all the feedback was was really cool. You know, we were kind of missing the beautiful Scottsdale weather and the lovely resort and all that fun stuff. But the bright spot was that we had our biggest audience this year and it was our most global one as well. And we're really, really thankful for that. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, really miss the resort, really miss the spa time that we tend to book oh my at, God, at yes. the end of the long week with the many, many hours of working and stewing over all the little details. But because we were all at home, we had the power to connect with a whole new slew of people who have never been to B2B MX before. And that's actually the reason for this podcast too, right? To be able to build our community, to get all the great content from the event to all of your ears right now. And that that's really what we're going to be doing. Like past seasons, we're going to be bringing back some of our top performing sessions across all of our tracks. But you know, to kick things off, we wanted to do a bit of a, a hybrid approach here. We wanted to give a little bit of a teaser to some of the topics that we're going to be covering in future episodes, but also reflect on a really big topic that was covered, honestly, throughout all of our tracks. Um, We kind of didn't really plan for it to be this way, but account-based marketing, it was an ever-present trend and talking point, especially because we were really emphasizing the role of the new revenue organization, new trends, best practices. And and obviously, Claude, as, as editor of DGR, you cover this every day. You're having all these conversations. And I'd love your take. I mean, would you say that our content from B2BMX Virtual was a good representation of what you were covering on the site? Were there any similarities or or any new priorities that, that you think were of note for our listeners? Yeah, absolutely, Alicia. I mean, I'll just say it. ABM, it's not even a buzzword anymore. It's just like, it's just a way of life at this point. I am pretty sure I have the ABM like dancing in my head when I sleep <laughs> and it just that's just all I see. And and obviously the recent pandemic really forced marketers to get closer to their buyers and their target accounts, right? B2B organizations, they're aligning their internal strategies with ABM to not really keep in just in keep in contact with their target accounts, but gain industry insights throughout like consistent interactions with accounts of of various industries and sizes. So as a result of all of these trends, 
I've been seeing so many companies really double down on ABM as a means of reaching and engaging their current and new target audiences. And Demand Gen Report, we conduct a ton of research throughout the year, benchmark research, one of which is our ABM benchmark research. So our most recent survey showed that a whopping 98% of responses are currently using or plan to use an ABM strategy. So I mean, ABM is here to stay. We'll definitely be seeing more personalization, more use of intent data, a greater need for cross-organizational alignment and collaboration from ABM teams in the coming months. So ABM is huge. It's here to stay. And yeah, so that's why we're going to be covering a lot more of it in our events. Yeah. Yeah. I think you raise a lot of really great points, Claude. I think that 98% is staggering, but it also shows that companies are at varying stages of maturity, right? Like we had some folks that were just talking about getting up and running at the event, like they were talking about the issues with developing a charter, achieving that alignment, getting things up and running. But then we had more advanced organizations that were talking more about successful campaign execution, lessons learned. Um, we even had a few of the vendors talk about how they're kind of practicing what they're preaching, right? And, and implementing their own ABM campaign. So we do want to kind of hit all of those notes, I think, because we we do want to speak to the folks that are just getting started or maybe starting to build their plans, but also folks who are interested to hear what the future will or should hold for the category, right? So that's kind of what we're going to be doing today. Obviously, I feel like we can't dig into some of the specifics without hitting on the foundational issues. And actually, one of our our most popular sessions from the event hit on the cultural challenges. Most notably, everyone's talking about the misalignment between sales and marketing. I feel like we've always been covering this in, in some capacity in the B2B marketing and sales world. But ABM in particular really requires that close orchestration and that collaboration. And we've been hearing so much about the new revenue organization and how, you know, there's there's a little bit of a dysfunction there, right? People are not quite speaking the same language. They're not quite seeing eye to eye. That's why we wanted to kick things off with this. It was actually a keynote session featuring Jay Bear of Convince and Convert, who everyone knows and loves. And he actually did a bit of a uh, therapy session with uh, Terminus CMO Daniel Incandela and G2CRO Mike Rear to get to the bottom of some of the most prevalent issues and even find some common ground. Mike, I think we all know here in, in B2B, of course, we're at the B2B Marketing Exchange, We all know that more and more prospects, especially on the B2B side, uh, tend to self-educate or prefer to self-educate before they interact with a salesperson. Do you feel then that that some of sales objections is being defensive about that? That that at one point, sales controlled more of the the funnel than they might today, that marketing uh, handles deeper in the funnel than they used to and that sales feels threatened by that. I mean, do you, do you feel threatened ultimately that marketing is going to take the whole funnel? No, I don't think there's any, um, I don't think it feels threatening. I think it actually comes from a place of on the revenue side, making sure that we are equally as informed about what they've been educated on before they get into the conversation with us. 
Because that, I think to Daniel's point, is a really good one where you don't want to be on your heels. Somebody comes in really well-educated and, you know, taking the good and the bad of that, they come in highly educated, maybe know more than you because you haven't been trained, you're brand new in the job, you're caught on your heels and you want to catch up to be a good consultative salesperson for your client. On the bad side, sometimes they come in educated in a way that's not accurate to like the way sales and the way product operates. And so sometimes there's some uneducation that has to happen. So there's there's really the good and the bad. Remarking does an amazing job educating folks so much so that it's more than what the salesperson has knowledge of. And on the other hand, sometimes, you know, we make some pretty big promises that can't be fulfilled for every customer. And that's one of the, I think, to part of what Daniel was saying before, a marketer has a tough job because you're talking broadly to a lot of different types of clients. And my sales team is focused on very specific segments. And so what you've shared to an enterprise level client may not be applicable in functionality and messaging for an SMB client that a person's on the phone with. You raise a really interesting point there, Mike. And, and Daniel, let me ask you, do you feel like account-based marketing then can help solve some of these friction points between sales and marketing because the marketing is being targeted at, at individual organizations. And so it's, it's specific in a way that a sales conversation is specific. Does that, does that help some of those issues? You know, it's something I've seen firsthand in my first three months at Terminus is that I view pipeline totally differently now. And if you think about the full journey a prospect goes through to become a customer, they talk to marketers, they talk to sales, they might talk to customer success, they may talk to a partner. And so it's totally changed my point of view and the relationships I need to build internally in order to be successful. And so I don't particularly think of myself as owning pipeline. It's owned by all of these go-to-market teams. So if Mike and I were colleagues, it is on me to build the relationship with them because it's going to help the company do better and perform better because we're more aligned. And that's advice I'd give to any marketer listening today is you need to build the right relationships across sales, customer success, and partners if you want to see your programs be successful. And that's on us to do. It's funny that you know, you're an experienced marketer. You've been doing three times CMO. And yet, only in the last 90 days, has your own definition of pipeline changed? Isn't that fascinating? It seems to me uh, that on both sides, one of our core problems is we use words, taxonomies like lead or pipeline or velocity or SQL or MQL or any other, or ABM or ICP or any other uh, lingua franca in, in B2B. And we just assume that the other side knows exactly what we mean. In fact, Research from Marketing Sherpa found once that only 45% of companies have a mutual definition of what a lead is on, on both the marketing side and the sales side. Mike, you've been in, in both chairs, in fact, are occupying both chairs uh, right now. How much of a struggle do you think that is? Just, just not having the same glossary, so to speak. Yeah, I would say it's a pretty big problem it seems like a little thing, but it leads to much more systemic issues. It leads to the distrust. It leads to the, 
the the you know the concern from a marketer, you know, Daniel mentioned before, hey, we're generating all this great opportunity for you. Why aren't you following up on it? And the vast majority of the time, hopefully, that is really good opportunity. But for every one bad lead that a salesperson gets, they're going to ignore the next couple because they're getting a little gun shy. And this was when I was a marketer, one thing that we try to keep track of is like how many good leads are coming through. So if I'm not a common definition, if I'm a marketer saying a lead is like forms completed, then I'm probably sending more bad over than good, leading to the distrust, leading to sales, walking away from the leads. So I've got to get on that common definition. And frankly, I've got to revisit that like probably quarterly across the broader organization to make sure we maintain a knowledge of what goes into marketing qualified, sales qualified, sales ready, so that we stay highly aligned over time. Daniel, do you think that's that's fair that marketing is historically um, not strict enough in terms of their own definition of, of a lead, partially because they've been measured on total lead count? I think that's part of it. I think that just the, the very nature of how we're discussing this is divisive and that marketing owns certain sections and then there are handoffs over to other groups that are then responsible. We, we just can't think that way. And leads are meaningless, really. Like there's no, there's no pipeline value to a lead. Any marketer could buy a thousand leads tomorrow and, and fill the funnel. Um, I think what we have to do as a go-to-market team is just start talking about the shared responsibility of pipeline for sales to hit their number. And let's face it, sales is hitting their number, everyone is happy. That's the reason why CMO is the shortest tenure C-suite out there. So maybe they're not thinking that way, which is why I think it, it, it hinges on the relationships being built across go-to-market teams as the marketing leader. I loved that session and this segment in particular was really, really powerful, I think, because it truly reflects not just those cultural issues, but really the reality surrounding the modern buyer. I mean, at this point, buyers are really doing a lot of the work on their own. This whole self-service buying scenario really goes on way before they engage with a sales rep. So sales and marketing needs to be in orchestration. They need to be playing beautiful music together all the time, and everyone needs to be on the same page, especially if they're doing ABM. But based on my conversations and, of course, the content at the event, there are different varieties of approaches. We have the one-to-one, the one-to-few, the one-to-many. But what really drives organizations' ABM approach? What principles or values are there? This kind of stuff really needs to be discussed at the beginning, in the planning process, you know, at the beginning stages of everything. So definitely keep all of that in mind. And during one of our sessions, Mike Waldron, who is the VP of marketing at Uberflip, actually provided some really great context into what drives the organization's approach. So let's listen to that. From a marketing perspective, it's really uh, my team's goal to uh, provide air cover for the sales team. The ultimate goal with not only ABM, but really any go-to-market strategy is to soften the ground by building trust uh, and credibility with a prospect 
so the sales team can can start building a one-to-one human relationship. So the way I look at it is marketing owns the nine-to-five relationship. We own the business side of it. We are expected to understand the prospect's industry, their persona, uh, and perhaps we would even understand their pain as well. But we're not necessarily building a connection between the marketing uh, team and the buyer. We're simply building the connection between the brand and the buyer. It's therefore down to the salesperson to own the five to nine relationship with the prospect. And that really is where this human to human relationship is born. And the levels of personalization there are more granular than I believe any sort of marketing technology can give you. It's down to the sales rep to know as much about that prospect as possible, both from the business side, of course, understanding their pains, but also from the the personal side as well, understanding what school the prospect went to, what um, motives they have, what even down to like the nitty gritty of, do they have a golden retriever and like Domino's pizza? Those are the kind of tidbits of information that make a prospect feel all warm and fuzzy as they go through the sales cycle. So one of the things that I've been guilty of as I kind of walk through our account-based marketing approach is investing too much into the channels. Now, of course, you have to invest in your channels. If your channels aren't personalized, nobody's going to click on them. That is the first step to any sort of successful campaign. However, and again, I'll have to put my hands up and say I've been guilty of this in the past. I've spent so much time personalizing the channels. I haven't actually personalized where I send the prospect. And often I forget about the destination and the destination is usually highly generic. It's a landing page. It's something that I would perhaps send everybody to. And then I kind of wondered to myself, well, geez, why aren't my channels converting? Well, it's not Facebook's fault. It's not Twitter's fault. If my social channels are underperforming, especially if I have a really relevant ad, it's usually the content or the content destination that I'm sending them to is not highly personalized. So as we go through this approach, remember that every stage of the buyer's journey, not just the first one, not just the channels, should be personalized as best as we can. Yeah, I think this is a really great call out, Claudia. And definitely an approach I think many organizations can take and learn from because we are hearing some companies going all in on ABM. They truly believe that that's the best approach for their business. They want to create something more high touch. And I think that's kind of what the session was getting at, right? Because at the core, Uberflip positions itself as a content experience platform. They, they are all about creating these hyper-personalized ABM ready type experiences. And that, that makes sense for them. So it's definitely clear that that ABM vision or or personalizations at the core of everything they do. But some people, I think most people, most organizations are kind of taking that hybrid approach that mixes ABM as well as traditional demand gen, but they're still trying to figure out how do we balance these two things? How do they vary from a strategic as well as a, a tactical standpoint? So we really wanted to have a session that gets to the bottom of that. Some lessons on what works, what doesn't, what have some of the top performing campaigns kind of uncovered from a best practices standpoint. And and we had a great panel led by Matt Hines. He's such a champ. He's so great at moderating these discussions and and calling out some of the varied approaches. And sometimes the the takeaways that people are, are a bit hesitant to share, especially if it's contrary to what the masses are saying. But we also had 
had Hannah Jakover of Magkudu and Breezy Beaumont of Alation, who is also a B2B Innovator Award winner. So we, we know both Hannah and, and Breezy really well. So we were thrilled to get them on the same virtual stage, so to speak, and really dig into how they as demand gen experts and practitioners are balancing the nuances of ABM and traditional demand gen and, and really the implications that come with this blended approach. So let's listen in on some of the um, key points from that discussion. I think uh, ABM is the new the new hot thing to say. Um, and a lot of us have really just been doing this for many, many, many years. And now there's a name for it, for better, for worse. Um, so, you know, it's something that's been happening, but I think the balance of uh, doing account-based marketing and demand, demand generation is that it's not one or the other. You need to be doing both unless you really truly know exactly who it is you can go after and you can't go after anybody else. That's the only example where you should only be running an ABM engine. If there's only 100 companies in the world that can possibly buy or use your product, that's the only example where I'd say ABM should be your go-to strategy. Um, otherwise, it should be a combination of the two. So your your general demand gen and ABM is going to go across all the same channels. So you're going to be on social, you're going to be on your ads, you're going to have your email nurture marketing, you're going to have, um, you know, your SDR outreach, all these different pieces, right? So there's there's the whole nurture funnel um, is, is the channels are the same, but the execution is different. So on the ABM side, um, you know, first kind of choosing, are you, are you looking to do ABM on a one-to-one -one basis, meaning to just to one company, one to few or one to many? Um, and, and generally, if you're looking at one to many, you might be looking at either use case specific, industry specific, some sort of, some sort of way of, of grouping out of a group of folks. Um, and so the balance there is that you, you keep that demand gen engine going and that's sort of like your baseline level for, for keeping your pipeline healthy at, at the company. But the ABM piece is helping with bringing in the exact folks that you want, but also with the pipeline acceleration. So accelerating those folks that you know are going to turn into higher value customers for you and also maybe less uh, churn opportunities for that customer down the line because you know it's a really strong fit for their business and for yours. Um, and so that's, you know, creating, and, and what that marketing looks like is creating things like uh, specific landing pages. Maybe you're having your logo and their logo together, um, creating use cases specific for them, other customers of that you have that might be their competitors or just in their industry um, and, and presenting that information. So the, the content slightly differs, but the the methodology and the channels you use are, are very similar. It's just it's just a little bit more of a, um, a strategic play on it. It sounds like it's not an either or, it's really an and for a lot of companies that there's a bit of a hybrid model that goes along with that. And I think, you know, as a lot of companies adopt that more advanced view, not only of, you know, lead versus account, we're also changing the definition a little bit of what it means to sort of be a qualified lead. I think traditionally, Hannah, we've thought of leads as someone that filled out a form and we can hand that information off to a salesperson, download a white paper, whatever. It could be that someone that attended your last five webinars isn't qualified. It could be that they're bored, right? And just, you know, they just happen to sort of have time to come to your webinars. Conversely, if we think about the, the value of intent signals now as a key part of marketing, we're thinking about someone that may not have been to your website at all, but is exhibiting some signals, some triggers 
other characteristics that make your a conversation with you maybe prescient right now. Talk a little bit about the evolution and application of intent signals as part of the campaigns you see as successful right now. Yeah, I think intent data is is critical for sure. I mean, I think it helps you better understand and segment, you know, your leads and accounts. And, and then just as you said, you can use that to inform your campaigns, like the way that you should be talking to those uh, leads and accounts as well. So I think that we're able to kind of get more granular these days around intent. So it's not just like, oh, we're, we're interested in, in, and we're searching for these types of things. Like that's not necessarily indicative of you're ready to buy. Um, but what might be is that you have a certain tech stack or you're, you're hiring for a certain role. Um, so those types of intent signals that, that, challenge or, or try to dig in a little bit more to the business and how it, what's driving the business forward or what the triggers are, I think are, are crucial. And then I think the ability to layer in intent sources into scoring models is also like next level because that, you know, really should be the heart of a lot of things that you're doing, whether you're doing lead based or um, um, account based as well. But by infusing that data into your scoring, you then have kind of two pictures. You have, yes, we know who is an active buying cycle because of these signals, but we also know who's a good fit. And then you also have that third layer, layer of the um, behavioral aspect of like what they're doing on your site too and how they're engaging with you personally. So it really allows you to have this fuller picture of, um, you know, and go beyond just like your account list or your ICP because it's so much more than that. And at the end of the day too, like we are, if you are taking an account-based approach, like you still are marketing to a person at an account, uh, which I think is critical. And so thinking about what intent can we get on that person level or how can we be more um, person level marketing? And that's, that's not going to be a coined phrase anytime soon, I don't think. But there's a lot of like person level um, ad-based technology that we're seeing, for example, that would uh, speak to that. That was a really great session, Alicia. And I mean, I love Matt. I love Hannah. I love Breezy. That was such a good combination. They really had a really, really great conversation. And in fact, we'll be doing a full replay of that session later in the season. So that was just a little bit of a taste into the discussion. So stay tuned for the full thing later in the season. And now a word from our sponsor. Triplio's account-based marketing platform is supported by a world-class team of client success managers that help orchestrate and execute multi-channel campaigns that include display advertising, web personalization, and sales activation. Whether you're targeting one or 10,000 accounts, Triblio's ABM platform can help you scale one-to-one -one account targeting for revenue impact. Visit Triblio.com today and request a meeting with one of Triblio's ABM experts to learn more about what Triblio can do for your organization. You know what I find interesting, Alicia? We did have a great number of sessions that talked about the ABM journey, the fundamental shifts, the pre-work and, and getting everything up and running. But we also had some folks share campaign examples and lessons learned, and of course, how they're applying these lessons for the future. I mean, that's really how 
you know, that's the approach we try to take with all of our events. We really want to share those examples and, and real life case studies and lessons and fails and all that. So one of the sessions that actually stuck out to me was one featuring our lovely Rob Levitt of the ITSMA and Andrea Clatworthy of Fujitsu. Rob is an expert on all things ABM. So the theme of this session in particular was the next frontier of ABM. And specifically, it was focused more on collaborative innovation. So the session dug into some really critical business trends, everything from approaching ABM to grow new business and even expanding existing accounts, as well as the different channels and tactics. So Andrea actually shared how Fujitsu inspires innovation through co-creation between the company and their top priority accounts. And she even shared a few examples of past campaigns that are truly immersive, high touch and experiential. So it was really, really fascinating examples. So let's get into that. A core part of our co-creating program is what we call the Fujitsu Human-Centric Experience Design, HXD. And I'll, I'll use that term a couple of times. And it's really a, a unique thinking method developed in Japan and rolled out worldwide. And what we've done now is we've created um, a whole bunch of very talented people. They belong to marketing. They're called co-creationists or practitioners, if you like. And we have them in every region. And we've invested in physical spaces, a bit like EY, uh, which we call digital transformation centers. And they're environments that are really inspirational and they're designed to make co-creation easy, where we will bring our customers in to work, to work collaboratively on something. And we build the use of this uh, as an approach into every single ABM plan. Um, so clearly, if, I, if we're going to do that, then I'm talking about one-to-one ABM, so at the top of that triangle. And it's an essential part of how we engage with our customer. And we can use it, this approach, at any point in the buying cycle. It's not necessarily just at the start, just at the end. It can be anywhere within that um, and, and varies depending upon maturity of our relationship with the customer. So our co-creating uh, approach enables us to work with our customers uh, and help us, and actually more importantly, help them understand the business challenge within the context of their strategy in a practical, interactive, and really energetic way. It's really fun, this. So I think the, the infographic can, gives you a little bit of sense of, of how we're viewing it. This is a fun, quick process and we bring various perspectives into this process, both from the customer with a diverse range of personas um, and from the people in the room from Fujitsu. So typically there'll be about 16 people in the room. It's a whole day thing normally. Um, 12 of them will be from the customer and, and the customer sponsor who's identified the business challenge would have also identified those people to bring into this process. Um, and then from the Fujitsu side, um, there will be you know, uh, four, four or so people, very rarely anyone from sales. So depending upon the challenge that we're addressing with the customer, that the personas will differ. So if the challenge is around, know, for instance, um, uh, customer experience, then one of the personas in the room might be somebody from marketing, which I think is pretty cool. So this process is really rapid, as I talked about. It's really structured, but it's really rapid. And at the end of that, we get to a joint working plan for immediate experimentation. So we very quickly move from thinking into proof of concept. 
Um, and that's really important. Yeah, Claude, I, I really love that we included this session in our little recap because I think it really shows the potential opportunities. And obviously for a company that's the size of Fujitsu, they of course have, I assume, have the budget and the capacity to really do these high touch experiences. But I think if anything, it gives everyone something to aspire to and really think of how they can create these high touch collaborative experiences, even if it's through virtual, right? I mean, during the session, Andrew even talked about how they adjusted their very personal workshop type model for digital and how that was a bit challenging for them. So I thought it was a really great account for how one company is really trying to take their ABM strategy to the next level, especially as we all try to navigate what this hybrid world looks like and how we can really work to stand out in new and exciting ways. Absolutely, Alicia. And I just, I love listening to sessions and presenters from big companies like that. Whether or not you have that Fujitsu budget or that Fujitsu team, you could really still get a lot of great inspiration for your own programs from larger companies as well. So moving on, I wanted to come to the big close, the future. So what is to come for ABM and and what trends in tech will emerge? While that Fujitsu session really painted a powerful picture for collaborative innovation, we had a lot of sessions around virtual events, experiential marketing, and other content experiences that are really designed to maximize engagement and revenue impact. But how can B2B orgs maximize new opportunities that they may not even know exist? Well, I'm going to throw another big buzzword at you. It's called intent data, and it's a huge driver of ABM success because it really helps you get good context into the topics that matter to your ideal customer profile. That includes the keywords they're using when they're searching for solutions and all of that. And this is all helpful as you develop your content and campaign strategies. So it's really all about the people that you don't know about, the opportunities that are left untapped, and intent data could really help you figure all of that out. So to close out, we're going to share Andrew Marr of Triblio's take on the future of intent data. And it was a fascinating session. So definitely check it out. The future of intent is going to be about discovery, not data. When you think about or go shopping for intent data today, um, that's what it's called. It's called data. Um, But I don't think that this is going to be where the market is at a year from now. If you think about intent data solutions today, what they're really good at is revealing the hidden funnel. So you know what's in pipeline already, but what's everything else that's up here in the hidden funnel that you know people who maybe are in market for your solution or starting to have pain points that you can solve, but don't know about you yet, aren't talking to your sales team yet. But those products still, for the most part, have to get started with you by asking, what does good look like? You might need to give them your ICP, but even more important than that, you have to tell them what topics, what keywords to be looking for that are relevant to your buyer's journeys. Uh, And this is the problem because while you might have an intuition about some of these, there's probably a lot that you don't know about that your buyers are doing, topics they're researching, that are relevant to your buying experience, but you just haven't been exposed to yet as a marketer. And that's what intent data needs to get better at is finding that hidden funnel, not by asking you what to look for, but by analyzing your business and going and finding stuff that you never even would have known to ask about. 
the, the way I like to think about this um, and the, the quote that comes to mind for me, uh, some of you might remember Donald Rumsfeld, uh, who served in the government years back, and he's famous for this quote, among other things. He said, there are known knowns. There are things we know we know. We also know that there are known unknowns. That is to say, we know there are some things we do not know, but there are also unknown unknowns. The ones we don't know, we don't know. This quote uh, makes me think of intent data today because there are signals you know you should monitor. There are keywords that you're using in your PPC campaigns and your search engine marketing, uh, you know, topics and, and things, whether it's, uh, you know, names of your products or competitors or, you know, other types of research that are relevant to your buyer's journey that you know to monitor for. But what intent data doesn't allow you to find today is those unknown unknowns. What are the buying signals that are happening that are relevant for how people start feeling pain and then finding you as a solution, but that you haven't figured out to look for yet? In this respect, I would say we're still in the Napster era of, of intent. Uh, those of you old enough to remember this technology know that you know when, when music sharing, online streaming music was first a thing, it was Napster and you could log in. And if you knew exactly what you wanted, you could log in to Napster and find it. You wanna find the latest Metallica album, you could type it in and, and the search results would come up. But that's not how music works today. Music today works by understanding your preferences, understanding your listening history, listening history of people you're connected to, and using all those things to surface new, new music, new songs, albums, artists that you wouldn't have ever asked for otherwise. This is what intent data needs to be able to do, the jump it needs to make, from you telling it what to go find for you to it just understanding your business based on opportunity data and, and other data you have, and then being able to discover stuff that is going to be great for your business to close. So the next generation of intent is going to do that. It's going to discover and recommend new signals to you that you're missing that you wouldn't have known to ask for or subscribe to. So if you think about intent data, it kind of breaks down into these two types of signals right now. The known behaviors, these are those things that you're, you're searching for, you're subscribed to. Here's the topics we're monitoring, the keywords we're monitoring. Someone's watching a video, downloading an industry survey. You know that's happening early in the process. You've probably developed content to try to capture some of that. But in your buyer's journey, uh, there's also these things that I would call discovered behaviors, stuff that your prospects are doing that you just don't know or don't know how to track. And so it's not part of your, your model right now. That could be things like a hiring decision happening, them attending an event, uh, installing technology that's related to your technology. And it's like a predictor that they're going to be in market for you in six months, attending a user group, all these other behaviors that happen in an account that aren't strictly about you, but that would signal that the, they're going to have a pain point that you can solve in the near future. Those are discovered behaviors um, along your buyer's journey that Intent Data is going to get good at surfacing. And we're really excited to be bringing some of that to market. I'm definitely dating myself, Claude, but I loved that comparison that Andrew made um, between Intent Data solutions and music streaming services that were kind of in the Napster era of the category. And the goal ultimately is to get to the Spotify, right? Rather than we search for it, we know we want it, it's there we're going to be getting more recommendations and more opportunities to expand our list of targeted accounts, which we're always looking for new opportunities, new folks to engage. And it really paints a really interesting picture, I think, for what the future 
may have in store for ABM as a whole. It was very inspirational, very engaging, and I think really the cherry on top for a jam-packed episode and the start of a great season of great sessions and conversations. I know, and it was truly a process digging into our 80-plus sessions, and it was really difficult to call out some key points for us to summarize in such a short episode. So we all encourage you to check out the content on demand and stay tuned for more session replays here on the B2BMX podcast. And of course, be on the lookout for more great content from our extraordinary team. We have our Demand Gen Report newsletter. We have an entire website dedicated to ABM. It's called ABM in Action. So check out some case studies on there. And then of course, since ABM is such a big and important topic, we actually have a virtual event coming up that's dedicated solely to it. You may have seen that our in-person event in June is sadly being canceled, and we're going to go online again. This time, we're going to focus on the future of ABM, and the event is called B2BMX Next Level ABM. It's coming to you this summer, so be on the lookout for speaker announcements and much more from our team. And as always, if you have a session idea or a specific speaker that you want to see, be sure to drop us a line. Over the next coming weeks, we'll be replaying some more of our top sessions from the B2BMX online experience. And we will also have, of course, some new conversations on topics such as SEO, creative agility, messaging strategy, and so much more. However, I will be taking over as the sole host of the pod moving forward. Alicia is going to take a step back and put her creative focus and energy into our retail podcast, and she will be involved more on the behind the scenes stuff. So I will miss you dearly, Alicia, but she will be back, guys. I know she'll hop in here and there on the pod because I can't raise this baby alone. Oh, you're so sweet, Claudia. Honestly, I'm going to miss it, but having the two platforms to juggle, it was a lot, but I have all of the faith in you and the DJ. GR team to really make this a fantastic season. And like you said, I'm not going very far. I'm going to be working behind the scenes and you all may be hearing my voice every now and again, especially if we have a great conversation lined up with some folks from our fantastic community. You're definitely going to be missed. I hope I make you proud, Alicia. So folks, that's a wrap on today's episode. Be sure to subscribe from your preferred podcast player so you could get new episodes directly delivered to your account as soon as they drop. And as always, thank you for joining us. We will catch you next week.